All right, and so this morning, as we get ready to, to dive in, we are going to be discussing the statement, Almighty. And so last we talked about, I believe, we talked about God the Father, and this morning it is Almighty. And so when I was growing up as a kid, one of the things I loved to, to watch was the man or women's strongest man in the world competition, or women's strongest woman in the world competition. And some of the things that they would do was just incredible. Like they would have to pull like a lorry or an airplane or a boxcar through, through an obstacle course. Maybe one of them would have to go and they'd have to, there was a keg toss. They would have to throw a keg of, of increasing weight over a two, four and a half meter bar. Then there was a Hercules hold where they would hold on to two pillars and just hold them as long as they could. And then there was the old good old fashioned de deadlift where they would go and lift up to 500 kgs. And I remember watching this as a kid. And my logical question was, why? Like, I mean, I got the premise. Sure, you want to be the, the strongest man in the world, the strongest woman in the world, but, but why? Why put yourself through this as much as I like watching you pull an airplane through an obstacle course with your teeth? Like, why? Like, what is the point of this? And maybe as we dive into our text today, if we dive into this part of the creed, the Almighty, maybe that's the question that comes up. It's like, why? Why Almighty? Why is that there? Because as we look as we read through the creed, like it's kind of sandwiched in between two really beautiful truths. Last week we talked about how God is Father. Next week, we're going to talk about how he is creator of heaven and earth. And then somehow, right in the middle of that is this statement. Almighty. Like, why is that there? Like, what's the point of that? That kind of seems a little awkward, maybe just like a random little throw-in. I mean, like, why does that matter? Is it because God is just sitting there in heaven and he wants to make sure that we know his biceps are bigger than ours? Is that why he wants to say that he is almighty? In fact, there was a lady back in my hometown that I went to work at her house one time, and she had a picture of Jesus on her wall. And, like, this was a Jesus I had never seen before. Jesus had a six-pack and was ripped. He was shredded. Jesus should have been on the cover of a magazine, not on a cross. And I was like, I'm pretty sure you're just wanting to put a half-naked man on the wall and claim that it's Jesus. But, like, is that why? Is that why God is saying, I'm almighty, because I'm, I'm shredded and powerful? Or is it because, like, yeah, we, can, we view him as father, but he wants to be intimidating. He wants to make sure, hey, you better not step out of line. Because I'm powerful. Does he want us to be afraid of him, intimidated of him? Like, what's the point of this almighty statement? And the answer to the question of the biceps and the intimidation is, is no. But here's what we're going to find as we walk through this idea of God being the almighty this morning. Is this, is to be almighty is to hold and to have power and authority over all the world, seen and unseen. When God says he is almighty, this is what he is saying. I have power. I hold authority over the entire world, over the entire universe, both the seen and the unseen. And so if we, we walk through this story together, we walk through this the idea of God being almighty. Here's just a couple of facts about almighty. So this word is used of God 48 times in the Old Testament. 31 of those times is in the book of Job. So that's important, uh, but again, we, it, it appears first in Genesis chapter 17, and it's often used for the patriarchs. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these are the people that this name is often referred to and used for. 
And the first place I said it's used is in Genesis chapter 17. And it is the Greek word, the Greek name for God, El Shaddai. And it is as fun to say as you think it is. So, on the count of three, together, let's say El Shaddai with one another. Ready? One, two, three. El Shaddai. Right? So this is this Hebrew name that, that God gives of himself. And so, if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, this is where we see it. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. And so this is, this is where we first see this reference. And so, as we get ready to dive through this characteristic of God, getting ready to see what this is, what it means about him, we're just going to get started with a little bit of crowd participation. We tried this last week and it went decently enough, and so let's try it again. I'm just going to say a word, and it's like the, the association game. The first thing that kind of pops into your head when I say this word, you go ahead and just shout it out, say it out back to me. So here's the first word. Meeting. Boring? Anybody else? No thanks. thanks. Alright, maybe some of you think stressful, productive, unproductive. It should have been an email. Like maybe that's some of the things that first come into your mind. Here's the next one. Exercise. Gross. Anybody else have a thing that comes to their mind? No thanks again. Sweaty, perhaps. Running is what I think about. Um, I don't know why none of you said the number one thing that comes in mind is like cute workout clothes because that's obviously the first thing I think about when I think about going for a run and, and working out, right? All right, next one. Meals. Anybody got think of anything else? But needles? When you, the first thing pops in your mind? Pain? Doctors? Screaming children? Tattoos, perhaps? All right, the last one. Disney. Luke Sway. Good answer. Anybody else think of anything when you hear Disney? All right. Well, there, well Luke Sway has a list. Disney World or Disneyland? Disney Channel? Disney Movies? Disney on Ice? Like, you know, just a few things that kind of pop in our mind. And so here's the thing. We have some different things that pop into our mind when we hear different words. But if we were going to ask this question... When I say God Almighty, what is the first thing that pops into your mind? I think almost all of us would say power. Because when we think about God being Almighty, like power is the thing that we think about. And God does have that area to him, that aspect to him as the Almighty. That's not the only part of God being Almighty. So as we walk through this together this morning, we're going to see how God being Almighty is not just the fact that he, he has power. But we will start there because I think it's the most obvious one. And so the first thing we're going to cover is the Almighty's power. The Almighty's power. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6. Isaiah writes this. Scream in terror, for the day of the Lord has arrived. The time for the Almighty to destroy. Joel chapter 1, verse 15 says, The day of the Lord is near. A day when destruction comes from the Almighty. What a horrible, what a terrible day that will be. And so as we read through the text, like, we begin to see like this God Almighty is this God of great power. Where we should be in terror, we should be in fear. And here's what I love about those passages. As we begin to walk through them, in Isaiah chapter 13, this is a prophecy that Isaiah is giving to the people of Babylon. 
And if you know the story of the Bible, Babylon is not God's chosen people. They are the people who are going to take God's chosen people into captivity, but one day they are going to be annihilated. One day they are going to be destroyed. And so Isaiah is saying, God Almighty is coming, and you should scream for terror because he is coming with power. But then we go to the book of Joel. In Joel chapter 1, Joel is giving a prophecy, but he is giving his prophecy not to Babylon, not God's chosen people. Instead, his prophecy is to the Israelites, who are God's chosen people. And he is saying, the day is coming when the Lord is going to drop the hammer of destruction. The Almighty is coming. How terrible that day will be. And here's what we see with these passages. is It's God's chosen people that God, the Almighty, has power over, and it's nations that are not his chosen people. That God has power over both. God has power over the Babylonians. God has power over the Israelites. God has power over the, the Irish government. God has power over America. God has power, you fill in the blank. God has power over all the nations, all the peoples of the world. God has power over them. He is almighty over them. This week I was reading an article entitled the, the Most Powerful People in History. And as you would guess, like this is a very like debated thing. There's a, nobody has the same top ten. Uh, so I just kind of compiled a list of, of what most people were putting as some of their top one and two. The first was Ramses II, who is the most powerful pharaoh in history. Next was Cyrus, not Billy Ray, uh, Cyrus the Great of Persia who returned Israel, actually in the Bible, who returned Israel from Babylon and helped to rebuild the temple. So Cyrus is a super powerful guy. Alexander the Great made the top of a lot of lists. Constantine's and Li Shimin, which is the uh, emperor of China, when China was the most powerful, when it was at its most powerful. And this list just continued naming all kinds of different people and just reading through this. But you guys know what happened to every single one of those leaders? They died. Their dynasties disappeared. Their kingdoms were no longer are no longer strong as they once once were. But yet there's Jesus. Yet there's God and His power, who is the Almighty, who has power over all the rulers, who has power over everything. In fact, if we fast forward to Jesus's life, when Jesus is on trial before Pilate. He asked, Pilate asked him a question, and he says, Pilate's like, Jesus, you know that I have authority over you. And Jesus says this in John 19, 11, he says, you would have no power over me at all unless it was given to you from above. And so God has almighty, he has power over the nations and over the rulers and the authorities. And then Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, he takes it a step further. That he's not just saying, hey, he has power and authority over the rulers of the earth. But he also has power and authority over the rulers of the, the dark realm. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, Paul writes this. He says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against the evil spirits in the heavenly place. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the, evil the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will stand firm. I love that. 
is God is almighty even over the rulers of this dark world. He is almighty over these powers. And notice he says, you will be able to resist the evil one. You will stand firm. And so he is almighty, not just over the, the world that is seen, but the unseen world. Not just now, but throughout human history, forever. He has had power. He has, had, he has been almighty over it all. And if you just take a minute and like you just look around at our world, like it is no doubt that there is some darkness in our world, that this is the dark world. Look at some of the things. There's racism and rape. There's murder and injustice, abortion, genocide, corruption, human trafficking, extortion, abuse. There's all these terrible things, and yet God is almighty over them. And through what Jesus did on the cross, through what Jesus accomplished for us, he has dealt the evil a death blow once and for all. So courage, church, we take courage because Jesus is God is almighty over everything. Even the darkness in our world, the things that we are afraid of, even the things that we look at and say, that's not right. God is almighty over it because that is the God in which we believe. And so as we walk through God being the almighty, I think it's just important for us to continue to view him in, in who he actually is. Just as a show of hands, how many people in here have seen the movie Princess Bride? Alright, if you haven't seen the movie, that's inconceivable. Okay? If you get that joke, you've seen the movie. Alright? Um, if you haven't, you totally should see the movie. Super good. But there's a part in this movie where, where Wesley, he has like been tortured and almost left, almost killed, left for dead, and his friends find him. And they take him to like some doctor or healer or crazy man. I'm not really sure what he is, but they take him there, and he has this quote. He says about Wesley, he says, it just so happens that your friend is mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. And all dead, well, there, if he's all dead, there's only one thing we can do. And I think this is helpful for us. It's because God is not just mighty. God is not just mostly mighty. He is all mighty. He has all the mights. Right? He's not just kind of powerful. He's just not mostly powerful. He is all powerful. God is not just one of the gods, but God over them all. This is what we believe. This is what we say. When we say God Almighty, we acknowledge, we admit that He is God. He is King over everything, over all creation. And friends, He is Almighty. We need to get rid of our thinking sometimes of thinking of God in, up in the sky with this big old grandpa with this old white beard who's kind of floating around, patting his angels on the head as they play his favorite hymn on the harp. Like, we got to forget that idea of God. Yes, he's got God Father, and he's got the Father, but he's also almighty. We need to abandon that thinking that he's just some this puny little God, but he is El Shaddai, God Almighty. Do you guys remember when Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane? Right before Jesus is arrested, Peter, one of his disciples, he grabs a sword and he takes a swing at a guy and cuts a dude's ear off. 
crazy, crazy story that happens. And before Jesus puts the dude's back, ear back on, he turns to Peter and he chastises him. He reprimands him. Here's what he tells Peter. He says, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect me and he would send them instantly? Essentially, Peter, your sword is nothing compared to the Almighty. Because I can call down angels. And he just like nonchalantly drops this statement. Like, oh yeah, okay, and I can call down angels. And if you read through the Bible, angels are not like these cute little things with like little halos. They're like, oh, that'd be so cute to hug. Like, when we read about angels in the Bible, they are terrifying. You don't believe me? Go read the book of Revelation. Just kind of see the way that, see the way angels look. There's a reason that every time an angel shows up in Scripture, it says, do not be afraid, after the person has probably already wet themselves. But it's do not be afraid, because angels are terrified, terrifying. And Jesus is just saying, yeah, I could call down six to, three to 6,000 of those guys if I wanted to. He just kind of drops this, like, that's the type of power that we're talking about here. But friends, don't miss this. Not only does God have the power to destroy with destruction in his hands. But even more beautifully, he has the power to protect. One of the areas of God's power is his protection. One of the areas of God's power is his protection. In Psalm 91, the psalm is writing about the Almighty. And in verse 4 it says this, He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. Don't miss the wordplay here. Don't miss what's, what's being played out. This idea of feathers and, and wings, of God sheltering us, covering us from when, we're, when there's danger around. But he's also got this, this armor and this protection. So here's this thing. He's powerful, but he can also be gentle. It's power under control. This is the Almighty. And so the, the first thing we often think, the Almighty's power. And that is an absolute part of the Almighty. But we're going to see the next thing that we see with the Almighty is the Almighty's presence. So in Scripture, God Almighty in Scripture is not just a reference to his power, but also to his presence. If we flip to, to Genesis chapter 17, again, where this story, for this name, first comes out for us, we're going to see this play out. So Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell to the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is an everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants. And I will give you the entire land of Canaan where you are now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever. I will be 
their God. So there's a promise here. It's a covenant. The Almighty is saying, I'm going to, I'm making a covenant with you, but do not miss this. He is saying, not only am I making this covenant with you, but I am going to be with you. He's not, I'm not just making this covenant and walking away. No, he says, I will be your God. I will always be your God. The Lord appeared to Abram. He made a covenant with him. He said to him, he gave him this. He says, I will be their God. Friends, notice, like, this is not just proximity. This is presence. God is not just saying to Abram, Abraham, man, I'll be around. You'll see me from time to time. I'll pop in, pop out. Like, no, he's saying, I will be present. I will be your God. And you will be my people. This is proximity. This is what God is saying. He is going to be active. So the Almighty, he does have incredible power, but he also has presence where he is with us. And every single time that we read about God Almighty, El Shaddai, in the book of Genesis, it is used in the context of God making a covenant, making a promise, and being with his people. So here in chapter 17, in chapter 28, in chapter 35, in chapter 42, in chapter 49, every single time that God says El Shaddai shows up, it is in, he is going to be with his people. So friends, we have an almighty, not just of distant power, but of personal presence. And maybe today, that is the belief that you need to come to. That is the truth that you need to hear. And you need to believe wholeheartedly is this, is that, that you are not alone. You are not alone in the waiting room. You are not alone. When you get another rejection letter, you are not alone. When you receive the diagnosis, you are not alone. When the kids are gone and the house is empty, you are not alone. When the date doesn't show up, you are not alone. When there are more bills and there is money, you are not alone. When all you have are doubts and unanswered questions, you are not alone. When you crawl into the, your bed by yourself for the very first time, you are not alone. When you cry into the pillow so no one can hear you cry, you are not alone. When you are an overworked, underpaid, and overtired single mom, you are not alone. When you sit by yourself every single day at lunch feeling seemingly unnoticed, friends, you are not alone. Because the Almighty is present. He is there with you. And as we think about this idea of the Almighty being in proximity, not just proximity, but in presence with us, like I think about how beautiful this can be as a church. As one of the ways that we can help show the world what he is like. Because when we fix a meal for someone who has just had surgery or is, is overwhelmed, we have to show them that there is someone who is present. When we write an encouragement letter or send a voice in prayer to someone, we show them that the Almighty is present. When we have a conversation, a cup of tea and coffee with someone who's lonely, we show them that they're not alone. The Almighty is present. When we buy groceries for a family that is struggling financially, we show them that they are not alone, that the Almighty is present. When you offer free babysitting to some parents that are exhausted and need a night out, <laughs> 
I'm just kidding. Like, you don't have to do that. I mean, if, I wouldn't turn it down if you did, but there is a, actually, I got this idea from a, a couple of people in America. God hasn't blessed them with children, so this is what they do for people in their church. They just say, hey, I'm going to give you a free night out. We're going to watch your kids for you, put them to bed, and you guys go out and have a, a date night. It's a reminder that you are not alone. The Almighty is present. When you mow the grass and work in the garden of an elderly person who can't do it anymore, like we are showing that you are not alone. The Almighty is present. Like just think about this, church. What is a better way that we can help show the world what God is like than being than mirroring this? By being present, by stepping into people's lives and just being with them through this all, through all of this. Because we are we are not alone. The Almighty is present. He was present for Abraham and for Isaac and for Jacob. He's present for me. And he's present for you. So we see the Almighty's power. We see the Almighty's presence. And the final thing is the Almighty's promise. So when you open up the scriptures and you come across the word El Shaddai, you know that's a promise made and a promise kept. Because that is the name that God is using and that he is going to keep his promises. No power in all the world will be able to thwart his ways because he is an awesome God. If you flip to Exodus chapter 5 and 6, we see the Almighty show up again. And in Exodus 5, Moses is starting to have some conversations with Pharaoh about letting the Israelites go. And it does not go well. And Pharaoh gets upset by this, and he starts being even harsher and more painful and more ruthless to God's chosen people. In fact, he begins to say, you know, you've got to do the same amount of you got to do the same amount of labor. You've got to put out the same amount of work, but you have more work to do. He's not, we're not providing hay for you to make these bricks anymore. And the people that are overworked, they can't do it. And this is what happened. Moses begins to have this conversation with God in chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Moses went back to the Lord and protested. Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people, and you have done nothing to rescue them. The story doesn't end there. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord told Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. The Lord And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promise to give them the land of Canaan where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of my people in Israel, who are now, or my people Israel, who are now slaves in Egypt. I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from this oppression, and I will rescue you from slave Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who has freed you from oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. I am El Shaddai. Because I am saying this to you, I am making this promise, nothing is going to stop it. Pharaoh will do his very best to stop this promise as you read through the book of Exodus. It doesn't matter. Because God has put his name on this. And God is making this promise. And it is a promise kept if God makes this promise. One of the reasons I love this passage in Exodus 6 so much is because we see each one of these characteristics of God playing out. Because God isn't this just person with like a split personality disorder where one time he's powerful, then he's present, then he's a promise. Like, no, he's all of these put together. We see this playing out in this passage. Like we see his power where he talks about with his strong arm, he will drive the people out of the land. We see his presence. I have heard the groans of my people. I remember my covenant, but we also see his promise that you are going to get the land that I promised you. And so we see that this is who he is. We cannot forget that the Almighty is a God of promises who keeps his promises. If you guys remember at the very start, we said the word Almighty was used the most in the book of Job. And it's used 31 times in the book of Job. And as you read through the book, the assumption is in the book of Job that God, when the name is used, that he is almighty, that he can be trusted completely. So if you flip to Job chapter 22, uh, we see one of these moments come up. There's this conversation that one of the friends is having with Job. And in verse uh, chapter 22, verse 32, sorry, verse 23 through 26, it says this. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. So clean up your life. If you give up your lust for money and throw your precious gold into the river, the Almighty will give you your treasure. So he will be your precious silver. Then you will take delight in the Almighty and look up at God. And so the, the, the belief is, is that God is Almighty. He is a perfect promise keeper. He is perfect. In all of his ways. God's perfect. And so the friends are telling Job, hey, this is, what's, this, is what, this is who God is. And when we begin to start wrestling with that and thinking through that, this is actually one of the reasons that Job is struggling so much. Because God is supposed to be this perfect promise keeper. God is supposed to be this person who always does what is right, always does what is good, always does these things. And yet Job looks around at his circumstances. He looks around at his life and is like, I don't see it. In fact, if we flip back just one chapter prior, Job is asking this question in chapter 21, verse 15. Job asked, who is the Almighty, and why should we obey him? What good will it do for us to pray to him? Job is struggling. Because he believes that if God is Almighty, his character, he believes in his character, and he looks around, and this doesn't seem to, to go with the character that he thought he was supposed to have. In Job's mind, God, God is dropping the ball because God is his perfect promise keeper and his presence is there and Job is here and he's lost everything and he feels all alone. And as we read through Job's story, man, it's hard to blame him for coming to that conclusion, right? Like, things in his life are straight up terrible. Maybe some of you know what that's like in your own life and you just look around and you're like, I don't know. Sure, God is almighty, he's this perfect promise keeper, but I don't think he, he seems to be dropping the ball here. 
He doesn't seem to be doing what I thought he was going to do. Maybe you hear that God Almighty is, is, the, or is this perfect promise keeper, and you begin to have your doubts. You start having this question of thinking, well, uh, not so fast. I'm not sure that that's been the story of my life. But here's the thing, friends. It is an absolute lie to believe that God can't handle what you're going through. It's an absolute lie to believe that God is going to keep his promise to everyone else except for you. When things don't go our way, we have to remember a few things. One, there is dark powers in this world. And what Satan wants from us most is to believe that God doesn't have our best interest in mind, that God isn't going to keep his promise, that God is going to hold out on us. In fact, it's all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Like That's the story of Adam and Eve. It's that God doesn't have your best interest in mind. God is holding out on you. But maybe, maybe God is almighty and sees some things differently than we do. Over the last few months in our house, one of our one of Ava's chores is to, to fold the socks when we do laundry. And like she weirdly really likes folding socks. Sometimes she'll be like, hey dad, can we do laundry so I can fold socks? Like, sure, I guess so. And so I'll go and I'm folding clothes and I toss all the socks there in the bag or on the chair. She she has to fold the socks. And then last week she was folding a pair of socks that was like a really like fluffy pair, of, big fluffy pair of socks. And she kept like trying to do it and she like she couldn't get it folded. And so she just turned to me and was like, Dad, I can't do this. Will you do it? And I wanted to say, yeah, sure. But I was like, no, I want you to keep trying. Because we're going we're gonna to do hard things. We're not just going to quit when things get hard. Because here's the reality. It wasn't that I was incapable of folding the socks. I, I've been doing that for 25 plus years. Like, I could fold the socks. But I saw some things differently as her dad, right? I wanted to teach her some things. And maybe in our lives, when things don't go the way that we want them to, when it seems like God isn't holding up his end of the bargain, maybe what he is doing is growing us closer to him. Maybe he's helping us lean into him even more and grow in relationship with him, and we don't even see it. Maybe he's actually doing what is best for us. Maybe he's multiplying the fruits of the Spirit in our lives and giving us more opportunities to be patient or be peaceful people. Because God sees things differently. Because as we walk through the scriptures, what we see time and time again is God, the Almighty, he is powerful, he is present, but he is a perfect promise keeper. And the promise of his presence is actually a theme that we see throughout the Old Testament. It begins to morph and grow in different ways in the Old Testament. First, it's this this covenantal promise with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will be your God, I will be present. Then it goes on to Moses, he does the same thing. Then when the Israelites leave, the, leave Egypt, it turns into God's presence as a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud to guide the way. Then there's a tabernacle that they build and move around where God's presence dwells. Then finally, Solomon builds a temple where God's presence is going to be once and for all, like where it's going to dwell and it's going to be. Then we fast forward all the way to the New Testament and the game changes completely is we see the promise of God's presence fulfilled in its most beautiful form. Here's what we see. Is at Advent, we see that God is with us. At Easter, we see that God is for us. And in Pentecost, we see that God is in us. You guys see the presence? First, he, Jesus comes. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
we see that. Then with Easter, we see how much God is for us because he gives his son, who gives his life for us. And then in Pentecost, the Holy Spirit becomes available to all of us. So the presence of God now dwells within us as followers of Jesus. And all throughout Scripture, from Genesis chapter 3, they have been pointing to the Almighty's greatest promise. That is, there is a Messiah that is coming. That Jesus is coming, and he is going to rescue this broken world. He is going to set things right. He is going to fix our broken relationship with God once and for all. God's power, God's presence, God's promise are most fully displayed in Jesus. In fact, this is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. He says, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Or as another translation puts it, all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. So Jesus is the fulfillment of all these promises that God has been pointing us to. And so with all of the power that the Almighty possesses, one of the greatest promises is that we can rest safely in his presence. Back to Psalm 91, verses 1 through 3. It says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. In the Almighty's power, presence, and promise, we find rest, peace, and safety. This is what we find. This is what we are offered through the person of Jesus. As he is offering us rest. He's offering us peace. He's offering us safety and security. So what do we do? And we accept the invitation that Jesus offers us. In Matthew chapter 11, and I love the way the message version puts this, Jesus makes this, this offer. He says, Are you tired? Burn out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Live the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. So church, that's the, that's the invitation. To hide yourself in him. To, to link yourself deeply into the Almighty. To say, yes, you are, you are, you have power, you have authority over the, the world, seen and unseen. And you have authority over my life. That I give everything to you. I step into relationship with you, and in doing so, I find the life that I've always wanted. I find the rest and the peace that I so desperately need. I find the joy that I can't find anywhere else. So hide yourself. Hide yourself in him. That is who the Almighty is. That is what the Almighty is inviting us into. Let me pray for us. Father,
El Shaddai, God Almighty. We just celebrate today that you love us in the way that you do. Father, we thank you for giving us this invitation to hide ourselves in you. God, thank you that in your power, you're not just some distant power that wants to just crush us down or whatever it may be, but you are present, that you are here with us, right here, right now. The more we celebrate that together as we get ready to sing. And Father, as we get ready to move into a time of communion, God, what a beautiful time to be reminded that you keep your promises. From the very beginning, you made a promise that the, the serpent's head would be crushed. And at communion, we celebrate the fact that you kept your promise, you sent your son, that Jesus laid down his life so that we could be free, so that we could have rest. And Father, as you have this ultimate authority over all the world, seen and unseen, God, thank you that you want to have a relationship with us, that you desire us to be your people and for you to be our God. So Lord, I pray that we submit to that authority today. We give our lives fully to you, and in doing so, we, we reclaim the life that we had always desired and the life we always wanted. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for loving us first. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And so together, we're getting ready to move into this.